Hello, my name is Michael McLennan, and welcome to COVID Matters, the podcast produced by COVID Aid. With the National Day of Reflection coming up on March the 23rd, this month we're fortunate to be speaking to Jane Murray from Maria Curie, who is Bereavement Services Manager and part of their family support team. Maria Curie have been leading and coordinating the National Day of Reflection, which involves hundreds of organisations, including COVID Aid, and has events taking place online and offline across the UK. I hope you enjoy our chat, and I'll be back afterwards with more details about the National Day of Reflection. To begin with, it would be great to know a bit more about yourself and your role at Marie Curie. Yeah, my name's Jane Murray, and I work at the Marie Curie Hospice in the West Midlands. I've worked here for quite a number of years, 30 years altogether, started as a nurse, Um, on our inpatient ward, nursing the patients. And then I, um, while I was nursing full time, I trained to be a counsellor, which took another five years. And after that, I gradually stepped over into our family support team. So now I I manage the bereavement services. So we provide bereavement support to anyone of any age, pre-death and post-death. So we provide that support either here in the hospice or in schools or in the person's home. And we're speaking to you for this podcast around the National Day of Reflection, which is on March the 23rd. Um, So I was wondering if you could introduce us to that and what it's for. This year, March 23rd, will be the second National Day of Reflection. And this was something that uh, last year was received terribly well within the nation as a whole. So many organisations got behind us and lit up buildings and just took time out from busy schedules just to stop for a moment and reflect on everything that we had been through as a nation that first year. Um, This second year, you know, we're looking at, we're still... in in COVID, we haven't quite come out of COVID yet. There have been thousands of people who have died this last two years. Some sadly of COVID, and we've all heard horrendous stories about that, but many others who have died of other illnesses, other traumas, other events. Um, And this is a time to come together as a nation and reflect and remember all of them. It's almost like this day, the 23rd, gives us permission to to grieve, whereas as a society, as a nation, we perhaps don't openly grieve, uh, depending on cultures. Um, So this is permission for everybody to stop, and it's okay, it's acceptable on the 23rd of May to remember, stop, grieve and cry. Mm -hmm. And of course, that means that for some people, they're coming up to the second anniversary of the way in which they've been affected. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, how have you noticed in your role things shift as the pandemic you know, first took grip in the UK and then also how it's changed since? Um, so two years ago, when it hit us all, um, people in their grief, and we were all we were all in the unknown, it was unknown territory, we didn't know what was going to happen, and certainly we didn't know how long it was going to last. But if you remember those first months of the uh, pandemic, there was a time, a, a period of time where in healthcare settings, which includes the hospices, 
we weren't allowed to have any visitors in the hospice at all. So there was a, that probably six week period for us anyway, where although our patients were dying and died, their family members weren't allowed to be with them because of the restrictions. Now, two years on, we, I'm still hearing the anger around that, about people not being able to be with their loved one and be with them as they died. And even though we, like other healthcare settings, did everything possible with, you know, virtual meetings and FaceTiming the patients, um, telephone calls with medics and doctors, it was, and nobody died alone. There was always a member of staff, a doctor, a nurse, physio, somebody with that patient when they died. Even though family members knew that, it, the anger is around, yeah, we really appreciate that you were there, but actually it should have been me. Why couldn't it have been me? Um, but at, interestingly, um, our, for our staff members, I do part of my role is doing a lot of staff support, and for our staff members, they are feeling exactly the same. It was particularly raw that first year. And they were saying, you know, we were with the patient and that was so humbling to be with the patient as they died, but it shouldn't have been us. It should have been their husband, wife, daughter. Um, as we came out of that six-week period and uh, we were still under heavy restrictions, People's grief, so people were starting to die now, um, and people's grief at that time was so raw and so intense, a lot of it because of the restrictions that we were under. So there was a time where only six people could go to the funeral. You know, you couldn't go and see the person in the funeral home, so you couldn't be with them when they died. You still couldn't go and see them in the funeral home. You could only have six people at the funeral. Um, that had an enormous impact on our people who have been bereaved. As the months went on, it was like people got stuck in their grief. They didn't know which way to turn in their grief. You know, do I openly grieve even though I'm so angry? I don't know what to do with this anger. I don't know where, where to go. And what do I do with this guilt that I wasn't at the bedside or that I wasn't able to accompany them to doctor's appointments and hospital appointments or the guilt around treatments getting cancelled? Um, so that, you know, I remember last year on March 23rd, last year, our first day, it was recognising people a year on were stuck in their grief. They just didn't know what to do with their feelings. They were burying them inside because they didn't know what to do. So having that first National Day of Reflection helped uh, tremendously to alleviate some of those feelings. They were able to do an outpouring of grief and it was acceptable. We, we accepted it as a nation. This second year, as this year has progressed, um, I found they're no longer stuck in their grief, but it's like the grief that has been paused is now finding its way out. Sometimes it will erupt, you know, like that volcano, it will just simmer, 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 and then there'll be an eruption of emotion and feelings. Other times it's um, the depth to it is far more intense. So there's, there's still the feelings of anger and guilt, but actually two years on, you know, people who died in that first year particularly, two years on, people are still shocked. You know, a recognised sign of grief is, you know, shock and numbness, denial of the disbelief that has happened. 
second anniversary of somebody dying, they're still in shock that it's happened. I can't believe that this has happened, that they've gone. Um, mm. The disbelief. Well, did, and you know, that kind of, when you're emotionally vulnerable, your mind can play games with you. So if you weren't there when they died and you couldn't see them at the funeral home and you weren't allowed to see them in an open casket if you could see them in the funeral home, there's that suspicion for some people. Well, did they actually die then? Where's the proof? All I've got is a death sentence. You know, so there's a lot of exploration now with people about their grief that it is now emerging. And I've noticed as we have progressed in the community settings and we don't wear masks anymore outside and you know the restrictions are far lax and we had freedom day um well, about two months ago six weeks ago although we all look forward to that and get normality back for people who have been bereaved yes they look forward to it as well but what's happening now in these latter weeks is they're very scared because the last time they were normal their loved one was with them now, the last time they went maskless in a shop, their loved one was probably by their side. So it just brings home to them who they haven't got yet again. Um, we're encouraged to socialise again. And um, for people who, for brief people, loneliness and isolation can be part of grief. So now they're allowed to socialise. And for some, they want to socialise. It's almost like they've forgotten how to socialise. Or what are going or what are people going to think of me if I socialise now and I'm on my own? And it looks like I'm enjoying myself. Does it look like I've forgotten my partner, brother, whoever it was, that person who's died? So there's a they feel there's a lot of judgments being put on them because they're grieving now. Um real or not. And they feel um I hear about almost guilty, part of guilt is around, should I be grieving two years on, a year on after the person has died? You know, are they, do people remember what happened to me a year ago? You know, are they, are they looking at me and thinking, you know, that I'm going mad and there's something wrong with me, you know, because I want to express my grief. Um, now that we're allowed freedom and we're allowed to have parties and gatherings, a lot of people who put, who, um, their wakes, their memorial services on hold after um, because they couldn't have them at some point. They're starting to have them now, so they're having church services, wakes, you know, celebration of life services, huge family gatherings, celebrate that person's life. But it just seems so odd to them that they're doing it now, a year on, two years on, when it should have been at the time, um, and that's making the grief come out in a very different way. You know, um, this, I think, you know, it's the overwhelming thing of, well, I don't know how to grieve. Um, the grief I feel now, is that how it, how it would have felt a year ago, two years ago, if, it, if we had been in all times? Or is this grief different? So they don't know if how, how they're grieving now is the right way or wrong way. And the truth is there's no right or wrong way to grieve. The right way to grieve is the way that you grieve. Um, What's most important is that you get it out and you have an opportunity to cry, to share your feelings. And again, that is what the National Day is going to encourage people to do. Come together at midday for a minute's silence, reflect on those that we've lost. Um, and also at eight o'clock in the evening to light a candle, light a light, 
in memory of everybody who has died. Um, so I'm hoping, and we all hope that this year's National Day will unlock some people in their grief because they've been given permission to grieve. So it will be interesting. I'm expecting a lot more people to come forward for support following March the 23rd because they've now let something out and it, you know they may step forward. So that will be a positive thing. Yeah, and I want to return to that idea of the unlocking of grief and nature of positive grief as well. But I was also wondering, there's lots of people struggling to make sense of what happened. And I think you've been through some of these, but I was wondering, what are the sorts of questions that you find people are asking? I'd probably say it's the same question that happened before COVID. The one little question, which is actually huge, and that there is absolutely no answer to, and that's why. You know, why did my loved one die during COVID? Why, why did my loved one die during COVID of this illness? Why during COVID when I couldn't see them? Why when I, you know, why when I couldn't ask all everybody I wanted to to go to the funeral? You know, all of that. It's so why, 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 why? And that just goes around in circles in their head, and there isn't an answer. You know, there just isn't an answer to the why. We understand with our heads that a lot of this was because of COVID. It was the unknown. It was because of the restrictions. We all follow guidances. So we know that with our heads. But actually in grief, you're dealing with people's hearts. You're dealing with their feelings. And, you know, that's a very different um, aspect of people. You know, the hearts, the feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, returning to the unlocking of grief and the nature of pause grief, I was wondering what, what does pause grief mean and how has that been affecting people? The, um, as I mentioned before, you know, the people, for whatever reason, they have felt they haven't been able to grieve because some of it has been because they haven't been able to attend a funeral or a memorial service. You know, they haven't had that formal um occasion to grieve so they've paused their grief um and I'm not saying they've done this consciously but you you know I see that it's almost like they have paused it and now that they are taking the button off taking the finger off that button that pause button and for some people it's slowly coming out they're willing to talk about their grief they're willing to tell their story their horrendous stories um uh and they're willing to cry a lot. And what I've seen particularly for males is that they too are coming forward and the stigma that used to be around for males, you know, stiff up a lip and men don't cry and men don't share, they are actually coming forward now. You know, a positive has been that the message has got through that it's okay to say that you're vulnerable. You know, it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to seek support. So that I probably say is one positive thing to come out of the whole of the last two years. There's been so much promotion of, positive mental health, you know, keeping yourself mentally, your mental health well, that um, I'm noticing that, we're all noticing that, and particularly with those people that perhaps wouldn't have come forward before, they are more willing to come forward now and ask for help, and that takes courage, and it particularly takes courage two years on, you know, a year on, 
to say, mm-hmm. you know, I do need help, I do need to talk. And is that something where there can be more kind of pent up emotions involved in that case? Yeah. I mean, the, particularly if they've, you know, uh, sadly, we, we hear a lot of people live alone, you know, that time that you could only go out legally one hour a day, you know, for a walk. That social isolation where you haven't had anyone to talk to in person, all the emotions have just sat inside and built up and built up and, you know, the anxiety, the stress. Um, I'm certainly hearing a lot more people describing panic attacks, stress and anxiety, which is taking them to their GP. Taking them to their GP now, 18 months, two years on, they're going to their GP with symptoms, valid symptoms of anxiety, um, panic attacks, stress. Now, unless they tell their GP, well, two years ago, my husband partner died, um, the GP is going to treat them just for their stress and anxiety. You know, they're not going to actually, if you like, be supported in their grief. So sometimes the onus is on us to tell the full story to the medics, but sometimes the onus is on the medics, you know, well, tell me what's been happening then. Where is this stress and anxiety all come from? And I guess it um, can ties into the complexity of grief as well. So is there such a thing as normal grief? Grief is normal, and we need to remember that. People die, sadly, um, of all ages, people die. And we as humans grieve, and that is a very normal and natural expectation to have. And most people, in normal times, most people cope very well on their own, in their grief, with the support of family and friends and colleagues. Um, However, I think the statistics in normal times are something like 80% of people who are bereaved grieve normally without formal support, so support of family and friends. It's the 20% that might come forward for support, either because they um, have no support around them or they have got support around them, but they don't tap into it. Um, so various reasons, Pete, that 20% will come forward. I would say during COVID, yes, grief is still normal. It's never going to be abnormal. It's not a mental health condition. Um, however, the complexity of it makes it, um, the depth of it, impact at a greater level and complicate you, particularly if you've already got a mental health condition. So if you have got an anxiety order or a stress disorder or you've been diagnosed with uh, depression um, and now you're grieving, it's going to complicate your ability to um, cope. Mm -hmm. I was wondering what particular challenges has lockdown and then the development since then brought for you and your colleagues at Marie Curie? like many healthcare settings for our clinical staff. Um, Just the fact of wearing all the masks. Well, all of us wear masks. We still wear masks every day now. Our restrictions haven't really changed in the last six months here in the hospice. We still wear masks. We still do lateral flows and PCRs. We still do track and trace uh, temperatures, things like that. 
but certainly that first year for the clinical staff, it was the wearing of masks, doing all the care, doing wearing scrubs. So they, we didn't wear scrubs, but um, during COVID, it was quicker and easier to wash scrubs than it was to wash and dry uniforms for the next day. Um, I think the thing that has impacted staff the most has been um, restricted visiting. We're still restricted to visiting here at the moment, once or six every day, whereas that goes against everything to do with hospice care, where it's 24-7 visiting, you sleep wherever you like, you know, we encourage you to be here all the time. Um, and for staff as well, I think, well, I, I know because I, you know, I talk to staff, I support staff. They have had to transition very quickly in a different way of working. They've had to adapt very quickly. And that's those first six months, the regulations, the guidelines from the government were changing sometimes two or three times a day. So it was trying to keep up with it. But also then, you know, you, you're coming to work, you're, it's all unknown, you're coming to work, you, you're doing your job, you're caring for the patients. Um, but also, you're very conscious that you're in your private life, in your home life. You may have someone yourself who's vulnerable. You know, you're shielding at home. You're, you've got someone who's ill at home because they've come down with COVID symptoms. So, you know, they were getting it on both fronts, doing, you know, the resources at work because all the work, excellent work they do care. But then they're going home and they're worried about their family. And, you know, I, I've heard repetitively, you know, staff, saying uh, and still saying you know we feel safer at work than we do at home you know because of the guideline the infection control measures are so tight here whereas you know in the supermarket in the pubs you know still you know you can do what you want you know it, it's almost in that respect it can be a relief to come to work because you you know i'm going to be safe at work everything's taken care of yeah, and um, for our service, for the counselling service, grievance support service, where most of our work was face-to-face, -face, we had to very quickly transition over to telephone support or video call support. Um, if you remember that time when children weren't in school, they were doing online learning. For quite big chunks of time, we weren't able to support those children mm. and because we weren't allowed to see them at home. Um, so in, during that period of time, what we did was to support their adults to support the child. So we'd have calls and video calls with the adults to find out how the child was doing. And we um, encouraged them, show them ways of talking or working with them. We would email them resources that they could do. Um, so a lot more intense work in that, like the education of adults to support their grieving child. So I, I think no matter what role we had in the hospice, everybody had to transition very quickly to a different way of working. Mm -hmm. Again, a positive of that, certainly for our service, is that, you know, as we come out of COVID now in the healthcare, in our hospice, we will continue to offer that blended support, you know, face-to-face -face and telephone and video, because for some people it's worked very well. Yeah, and in terms of with something like National Day of Reflection, there's obviously a mix of uh, online physical events yeah. and lots going on around the country. 
Uh, I was wondering what are, what are your hopes for what an event like National Day can can achieve to help people? I I hope this year um, that you know little did we know we'd, we'd be having we knew we'd have a second and hopefully every year we'd have annual days of reflection. Um, but little did we know that on the second day of reflection we'd still be in COVID. You know, um, so you know, my hope for this year for all the people who are bereaved is that you will take some time out that day. It is okay on this day. This is the one day that it is okay to just pause and to feel your grief and to allow your grief to come out. Um, you're remembering your loved ones all the time anyway. Um, you don't just do it on this day, but you know. This is the time that you can just stand with others, connect with others and come together and remember all those that have died. But not only all those that have died, but remember what each and every one of you have been through too. You know, you've journeyed some horrendous journeys with those patients who have died. So, you know, take time to just remember what you have been through and acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And I, I very much related to that, but what would be your message to those who have been bereaved? I would say, you know, it is that old adage, you know, one day at a time. Um, on the hardest day that has to be broken down further, an hour at a time. Um, do reach out and talk to people, whether that is in person, virtually, we have the Marie Curie telephone support line, which is across seven days. Um, there's all there will always be someone there to talk to you about your grief. Again, it's okay to cry with them. Um, I would encourage anybody to do that. Tap into that. Um, if you felt that you needed more than one call you're able to have up to six calls from someone to support you. Um, and it's, you may not want to share that with other people, but it's something like sharing it with someone who, who didn't journey with that journey, someone who wasn't there at the time, it just allows you to talk freer. Because you remember, you know, when you're grieving, all those in your family and your friendship circle, they are grieving too for that person who dies. So we kind of get into the habit of protecting each other. You know, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, you know, if all things considered, I'm doing okay. You know, but I would say to them, and how are you really? <laughs> you know, and then they would open up. So, you know, do talk, do reach out. And if you have got a, if you have got a support network around you, tap into it. Because there's a, there's a huge difference between having a support network around you and which you tap into because so many times I hear people when I ask people who have you got around you that supports you they'll say oh we're a very close family and I have a good friendship circle and good colleagues at work and if I then say to them and out of all of that which of who are you talking to which of them are you being real with sometimes a lot of times they'll say well you know, I know they're there if I if I need them. I know that they're there. But, you know, you do have to be willing and have that courage to talk to someone and say, you know, I'm not okay. Can I just talk to you? And likewise, if you are 
um, a friend, a colleague of someone who has been bereaved. You know, don't avoid those conversations. Don't avoid them. Uh, you, you know, people, I find, won't say, reach out and say anything to the person who's being bereaved for fear of upsetting them even more or hurting them even more by talking about it. Nothing you can say is going to make them hurt any more than they're hurting right now. What is going to hurt them is you avoiding them and not even mentioning it and, you know, not talking to them. Now, you may feel that, oh, gosh, I'm not that kind, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not good with words. I wouldn't know what to say. And, you know, that's okay. But maybe you could show that you care in a different way. Maybe you could be that colleague at work that when you make yourself a cup of coffee, you just put a cup of coffee on that person's desk. Or maybe you're the colleague at work who brings a bottle of water and then just puts it on the desk or, you know, squeezes their shoulder or, you know, something like that. Um, maybe you're the next door neighbour that just turns up and says, you know, I'm on my way to Tesco's, where's your, where's your list? You know, so you can reach out to people in practical ways as well as, if you like, emotional ways. And it will be very well received. Um, I think one of the worst things you can say to somebody who's bereaved is, and it's said with the best intentions, but if you say to someone, I'm here if you need me, just get in touch. That is a wonderful thing to say, but that person who's bereaved isn't going to reach out and give you a call and say, I need you. You know, it has to be the other way. I'm going to call you every Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Now, or I'm going to come around for a tea, you know, Tuesdays at six o'clock. If you don't want me to come in, that's absolutely fine. Don't answer the door, or I'm going to be there on the doorstep. You know, so it's about being more proactive. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, for those who are wondering more about Marie Curie and the support it delivers, uh, what are the next steps that anybody listening should take? Um, if people visit our Marie Curie website, mariecurie.org.uk um, as soon as you log on to there there's a wealth of information about anything to do with end of life care and particularly as we're talking now about grief and bereavement a whole section on grief and bereavement loads of information practical support um, resources that you can download or you can order and our phone line 0800 090 that is all over the website. You'll be able to call that and be instantly connected with someone who will care for you and share your grief with you. Thanks so much to Jane for her time. The National Day of Reflection takes place on March the 23rd. It provides a time to connect and support the millions of people who are grieving. Remember the family, friends, neighbours and colleagues who have died over the last two years. There are loads of ways to take part in the National Day of Reflection, from joining the Minute Silence at 12 noon, to visiting a wall of reflection in your community, and reaching out to someone you know who's grieving. COVID Aid is also hosting events online through our support community. Find out more by searching Day of Reflection, and if you or someone you care about is grieving, the Marie Curie support line can help. Call them for free on 0800 090 2309 to speak to one of the trained support line officers or get ongoing support from a bereavement counsellor. If you haven't heard of us, COVID Aid is the UK's national charity dedicated to supporting all those significantly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. We provide a range of supportive services, advice and information, including hosting our COVID-19 support community where we host courses and events. 
please visit coveredacharity.org that is coveredacharity.org and join our community at community.coveredacharity.org we'll be back soon with another episode and until then please take care